Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think people like Russ was always rocking the baby. Yeah. And I think he went to the too small thing, like you too small. And then he may have been the one who started the fire roof. Now you just see it all the time. I mean, I've done it a few times. I think it's hilarious. Who, who'd you, who's the uh, tallest person you've done it to? <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everyone? Welcome to the CJ McCollum Show. I am back in New Orleans. As you can see, you got the Derek Jeter autograph to the left, the cash cow to the right. Across from me, as always, Izzy Gutierrez. We have lots to discuss on this week's episode. There's a lot going on across all sports, specifically the NBA. USA. USA. Sorry, it's Tuesday. I'm still on the high from that. And the next game's not till Saturday, so we're all still on the high from that as you listen to this. But uh, I got my I believe that we will win t-shirt on. You got any uh, soccer bona fides, CJ? Do you used to play? Um, I did play a little bit in middle school during recess, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like everybody else. Right. I wasn't bad, though. I wasn't bad. Decent footwork. I could kick. I was a good striker. Mm. And I think I would have been a good goalie in terms of my read and react, but wasn't a good dribbler at all. If you passed it to me and I tried to stop it, good things could happen or really bad right. things. Wasn't, wasn't really sure. But if I would have applied myself, I think I could have been average. Okay. You yeah, chose the right average. sport then. <laughs> Did you play? Uh no, I never played. I uh I just I'm just not good with my feet. Like I'm just I was never never even tried it, to be honest. Um you would think that I would be in like a, as a Dominican person would have tried like baseball or softball. I think I played softball once in my life and mm-hmm. I uh pretty sure I like tore my uh, quad trying to uh, beat out a single. And so yeah, I don't think baseball, soccer, anything that's sort of popularized in the or really popular in the caribbean i'm not good at it <laughs> gotcha well you you picked the right career you're doing oh, well oh, thank you thank you <laughs> uh how are you doing by the way how are the pels doing um just a uh, quick note right here uh you guys are seven and three in your last 10 uh zion's played his first 100 games and uh, he's averaging 25.2 points on 60 percent shooting for his career no players ever in the shot clock era averaged those numbers through his first 100 career games and in fact the only players who have averaged those numbers in any 100-game span in the shot clock era, Barkley, Shaq, Kevin McHale, and Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, random stat there, but how are the Pels right now? We're doing well. Um, we've been really banged up this year. I, I would have liked for us to be more healthy. I would like to be more healthy in terms of you know going through COVID and the viruses that I've gone through this last month. But I think considering the circumstances with us, as we record this podcast, like you said before, uh, seven and three in our last 10, 12 and eight overall on the season, we just got a good win uh, the other night against the Thunder team in which I don't play. Brandon Ingram doesn't play. Larry Nance doesn't play. Najee Marshall doesn't play. We still are able to come away with a win. B.I. Jones with the D on that last play, huh? Yes. Great defense. I think um, he held shade a two of nine from the field, four turnovers, three block shots, and obviously the stop down the stretch. I think he's a candidate for um, 
first team all defense. And this isn't me being biased. This is him just guarding every night um, really well. But I think overall, you can see the development of our team. You can see us kind of rounding out in form. Um, being able to execute down the stretch of games, I think, is extremely important. We're doing that much better. Uh, like I said before, we finish a game with with a bunch of young guys out there. Um, I think we're top 10 in offense, top 10 in defense still. As of, you know, Kirk, was it Kirk Goldsberry? Uh, he yep, does, yep. He does his releases on Instagram every 10 games and uh, basically shows how well teams are performing. I think we had the fifth fifth best offense, seventh best defense out of the last 10 games. So playing extremely well. And that's with us having to play against the Boston Celtics who end up hitting like 10 threes in the first quarter against us. Um, and, uh, and another tough loss we end up taking um, against Memphis where we lose by like 30 uh, in a game. I didn't play in NBA. I ended up getting hurt in. But I think overall we're playing well. We're trending in the right direction. And for a young team who has some tough losses early on in the season, I like where we're at. And it's it's I'd say it's I hope it's good that we've getting our injuries out of the way early. I think B.I.'s missed six games. Zion's missed six games. I've missed three or four. I can't remember because of COVID. I have COVID brain right now. But uh, the worst. Yeah, we're, we're heading in the right direction. So I would say that I'm happy with the progress that we're making, but understand that there's still room for uh, growth for us, for sure. I didn't like the result of the play because it ended up in Zion missing a three, but him sort of taking the ball and the pick and roll, to, uh, running the pick and roll late in that uh, in that really important possession, um, and just sort of taking control in that game with you and Bi out. Does it seem like not only is he just getting more comfortable because he's getting more more consistent playing time, but is he just feeling more like, hey, I can I can lead things when necessary? Yeah, I think it's his comfortability. Like you talked about, he's played a hundred games now, finally in his career, and it's just him and Michael Jordan in terms of points scored in those 100 games so that shows you his dominance but from a comfortability standpoint he's averaging 25 through 100 games on over 60 percent shooting which is ridiculous he finishes well around the basket I think his touch is coming back his traffic touch right like it's one thing to work out um you know, in the summertime and to get hit and do those things with the pad. But it's another thing to have to play in games where you're guarding on the defensive end, you're getting hit and pick and rolls, you're having to play defense, you're running full court, and then you got to finish through contact with bodies on the court. And I think that comfortability of jumping and landing in crowded areas, especially when you're as athletic yeah. as he is and you've had those foot injuries, I think he's finally getting more comfortable with the explosiveness and the jumping in crowds. And then you talk about the playmaking. I think that's timing, understanding the flow of the offense. This is his first year playing with Willie. There's a lot of things that people don't quite understand. This is his first mm. year playing with me and BI and JV and all of these other players because he was hurt all last season. So the comfortability is starting to settle in, understanding the offense better. And that's where you see the playmaking. That's where you see Willie kind of getting some of that point Zion action and in motion to where he's he's delivering. And I think he had eight assists um, in his game against the Oklahoma City Thunder and he showed his playmaking ability. Yeah, you mentioned something there when it comes to him landing. And getting comfortable landing again, I don't think I've thought about that. The only time I maybe thought about that was like with Gordon Hayward after he had that gruesome injury. But like in terms of getting comfortable again, I normally think, hey, you just, you know, jump in a crowd one time and then you'll be comfortable again with it. But you're saying it's like it takes more time for that for him or anybody, really? Yeah, and I'm speaking from experience having three foot fractures. I mm -hmm. think the nervousness of 
playing again, first of all? Can I move the same? How is my lateral? How's my quickness? And then jumping. It's one thing to jump in an empty gym. You feel comfortable. You can't land on anybody's foot. It's another thing to jump where there's crowds of people and you're the most athletic person in the room. I never got to feel that unless I was in a room, you know, at a senior in a senior home. Uh, I'm generally not the most athletic person in the room. So for him, he's explosive. He's powerful. He jumps in crowds. And I think you got to be comfortable with that experience of spraining your ankle again, landing awkwardly and nothing happening to where like you can get over that. And it, it took some time for me to move the same, coming off a of pick and roll, snaking, going into the paint. Like as a guard, you jump and you land, generally speaking, the big is going to land before you, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you're either hanging in the air with the floater or you, they're the second jumper. So you may land first, but they could trap your foot. So for him, I think he's just getting more comfortable with the pace of the game. The conditioning is starting to kick in where you see he can bring the ball up. He can still go play defense. He's blocking shots. He's shooting jumpers now. That's how you know he's getting really comfortable where he's trusting the jump shot. He's not just trying to go into the paint every play. And uh, he's making plays, which is what you want to see from him. You know, The gravity that he's starting to have out there, he's taking advantage of it. I have no idea how a ref calls um, a block charge when somebody when he's driving and he's on the ball, like driving to the hoop, because you could be, you know, maybe one third, right? Uh, a cover, like covered by him by one third or whatever. And he could still knock you down as if it's a charge, but it's not even close to chest to chest. You know what I mean? Like, right. And so I feel like he can get to the foul line a zillion times if he wants to. And guys try to guard him like that. Yeah, he gets in the foul line a zillion times if they call the fouls ah, that, yeah, that are that actually too. happening. I think for him, he's ref differently, right? He's he's top five in the NBA in points in the paint. He's probably top two in points at the rim. You know, obviously you got Giannis, you got some of those guys, but um, he's in he's not in the top five in free throws attempted, and he's putting pressure on the rim every play. But he's so strong, he's so athletic. It's hard for refs to kind of gauge the contact, the marginal contact that may be called, you know, for certain players that maybe aren't as strong as him aren't necessarily called for him. And that's the slippery slope that you see uh, yeah. when you when you got a guy that's strong, that athletic, um, that that ability to finish through contact sometimes they just feel like he should finish anyway, where it's like with Shaquille O'Neal factor, like it's still a foul just because he's strong enough to not flop and like show you it's right. a foul. He's still getting fouled. Shaq's not taking it to, to the rim from the three point line. Um, another big guy out West, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, unfortunate injury on Monday. Um, it looked for a second. It was scary because he turned around as if somebody hit him, you know, that's just the classic response to, uh, to somebody who gets an Achilles injury. And so, you know, fortunately the reports are it's four to six weeks with a calf strain. Um, I wanted to throw this out there, though. This is um, a stat that was given to me by a uh, shout out to my guys at uh, NBA University on Twitter. It's NBA underscore university. It's a great follow. Actually, I have a really cool merch, too, but they are um, super like stat heavy. And man, they watch a lot of basketball. But one of the um, passion, drive and patience, the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Stats that I looked up or that I was given. Um, Rudy Gobert. So he's used 2.2 possessions per game as the role man, Okay. Jeez. His least since 2015. He averaged 3.55 per game the last four seasons. Okay. So you're saying he got the ball more from Donovan Mitchell. I'm saying that they didn't use, I'm saying they used him as the role guy a lot more uh, in Utah. And yes, uh, got the ball more as a result. His points per possession as the role man this season, actually the highest of his career, 1.44. Okay. So basically, he's been great in that role. They just haven't done it enough, right? And mm-hmm. they have looked really at different times just inept uh, together anyway, Kat and Rudy. Um, and with Cat missing this time, you're going to have to run just a lot more pick and rolls with Rudy. You're going to have to find a comfort level with him with Cat out. And I think it's going to kind of be a blessing in disguise for them when you consider just those actual numbers. Like, he's been great at it. He didn't have a great game on Monday against the Warriors, and he took the blame for it. He said, you know, he's fumbling the ball, didn't catch everything clean. But D'Angelo Russell's had a hard time connecting with him this season. Um, and I think, you know, frankly, like I said, it's going to be kind of a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I think injuries are something you you don't wish on anyone. You hate to see it happen, but I think it provides opportunities for other people. For instance, me being out, B.I. being out has allowed for other guys to play more. And then you see a guy like Larry Nance sit out last night with a shoulder injury. And then Willie Herman Gomez comes in and he puts up a double-double. So that creates opportunities for other players to show the work that they put in. I think you look at how I was able to play in the NBA. Wesley Matthews, Terrence Achilles, I'm able to get some minutes. But I was third string. So Aaron Afalo was also in front of me. He ends up getting hurt as well. And then I was able to get some minutes and I took advantage of it. And you never wish injury on anyone, but injury creates opportunity oftentimes for different rosters. And then that makes a team better because other players have to do more. They have to prove, you know, who they are. And then the organization gets to kind of see exactly what they have to work with. And I think this is a situation in which, like you said before, Cat goes out. He's obviously an all-star caliber player, um, tremendous offensive talent, can shoot the ball, can get to the rim, has post moves, um, definitely changes the game for them. But they have to figure out how him and Rudy can play alongside each other and how they can be successful, not only in the regular season, but if they have aspirations of playing in a playoff. So this gives them a chance to find more of a rhythm with Rudy, you know, get the chemistry better between Anthony Edwards and D'Lo and him so they can run more pick and rolls. They can use him more as a diver and kind of play with some of those lineups to where they can use some of the other younger guys in their roster to figure out who's going to be around, you know, in the future. So I think this is a chance for them to kind of experiment and really see what they have to work with. And that gives Rudy some time to kind of figure out his offensive game alongside those guys yeah he's basically been the most efficient role guy in the league this year in that scenario so if you just doubled the 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 chances i would assume that that's going to uh increase his production and again we've talked about this like i feel like you kind of have to or they are in 
so deep in this trade, given some, uh, given up what they gave up. And I guess what I'm wondering is, let's say they do figure that out, right? Hey, we mm-hmm. got to use Anthony Edwards and Rudy. Great, great pick and roll combination. Maybe one of the best in the league. Then what happens when Cat comes back? When you find out he's most effective as just a stretch four. Uh, is that something? Do you take away his chances there? Do you just have to say, we got to do what we got to do? Is Cat the type of person that will allow that type of stuff? I think you can always play with the lineups. You can play with the rotations to where you can still use Rudy as a role guy. You can set 77 to where Rudy's the dive, right? You know, double drag and transition. Rudy's the first screener. He's diving or he's going to set the screen for Cat after the you know pick pick action and then he dives and cat gets to pop and then you can have uh different lineup situations where you stagger minutes right like they start together one of them comes out first put the other one back in you can kind of do those things to where we did it a lot in portland with damon i i started together mm-hmm. with him i was the first sub out right so i come out you know call it the seven minute mark six minute mark i come back in the three minute mark for dame dame comes out i get to kind of run the show by myself for a little bit dame comes back in six minutes later you can kind of play with the lineups and rotations i think the lakers did that in the beginning a little bit but then realized it was too hard to stagger because brian was playing 38 minutes and right. ad was playing 37 minutes so it's like how do you stagger when you basically only have nine minutes to work with where one of them is not on the court. But I think there's a there's a, a way in which this can work for everybody to where you can get more diving from Rudy. You can get more pick and popping from Cat, which is what you want, because this is a guy who was flirted with 90, 50, 40, you know, multiple times. That's a guy who can really shoot the ball. He can also post up. He can also pick and pop um, short roll where he's shooting that floater or that, that 12 to 15 foot jump shot. So I think they'll be best experimenting and figuring out how to how to trigger the lineups, but also how to get the most out of both of their bigs. Right. Um, so right now they're 10 and 11. We'll see uh, in a few weeks if I'm right on that prediction. Um, but one team that's just not messing around right now, uh, the Boston Celtics. Uh, yeah. You guys lost a relatively close one to them. They caught fire in the second half there. Um, we've talked about Jason Tatum uh, basically using his body better, getting to the line better, um, and that sort of opening up his game uh, even more. Um Malcolm Malcolm Brogdon talked about how well this team gets along and for for what like the way Marcus Smart comes across to fans like you would think that maybe they have a, a poor opinion of him but like he is a great teammate like people are always in a great mood around him at practices when I've ever been there and so he said Ma- Malcolm Brogdon said that the the chemistry with the team they get along very well and that actually helps out with everything I don't know where you stand on that in terms of uh how that helps with the team uh team success but Boston seems like they've just hit the ground running even without uh Ime Udoka. You can tell they like each other. You can tell they get along having played against them, but also knowing the players. I talked about mm-hmm. the relationship and the dynamic between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but you look at all of these guards that they have on this roster, right? You got smart. You got white. You got Brogdon. Those are three really good guards, all starter quality guards who can get it going each night. White ends up hitting six or seven threes against us. He gets it going. He's in the starting lineup. A couple nights later, Brogdon hits six or seven threes. And then you look at a night like two days ago where they play against the Charlotte Hornets. They put up 140 points. No Jalen Brown. Smart gets 15 assists. Malcolm Brogdon comes off the bench for 21 points, five rebounds, six assists. It's oh, a career high 15 assists too for Marcus Smart. Career high 15 assists, but the cool part about this 15 assists is that he goes 8 of 11 from the field, hits six threes. The Celtics are shooting 
so many threes every night. They go 24 of 52 for 46%. These guys are on on track to be the sec to shoot the second most threes per game in NBA history. That's kind of showing you how they're playing. These are this is a team that has a lot of guys who can shoot the midi, right? You can tell the emphasis, the point of emphasis this season is to drive and kick into space. There's no Robert Williams, right? So that means mm-hmm. Al Horford's playing the five, which means they have five shooters on the court at all times with Grant Williams backing up at the five. They obviously have the tall kid who jumps from the corner and tries to block the shots who doesn't <laughs> shoot a lot of threes. <laughs> if you can't see the rim, you might not make the shot, CJ. I don't know if you knew the thinking on that. <laughs> his name, uh, by the way, his name is Luke Cornett. He's he's probably the only player in the rotation that doesn't shoot threes. Everybody else is a three-point threat. Yeah, and so what I'm wondering, though, because you mentioned Robert Williams, I, I I never thought that this that offense would be a problem for this team. But I also never thought that you could rely on a, let's see, 36-year-old Al Horford at the five spot, you know, through a long playoff run and into a regular season in the, you know, the times where we're seeing guys take a bunch of time off and he's just holding it down in the middle. How? Yeah, it's it's funny because at halftime of our game against the Celtics, I asked him, I said, when are you going to shut it down, man? He's like, I got a lot left in me, man. I'm going to play for as long as I can until the wheels fall off. And I'm just looking at him. And then he just goes in and bangs two threes in the second half, makes all the right <laughs> passes in the pick and roll, switches one through five naturally. Um, he's he's perfect for them. And I think the selflessness is something that's rubbing off on the rest of the guys. This is a guy who does more and gets little credit, right? Like his whole career, he's done a lot and hasn't gotten a lot of credit for the way he plays, his selflessness, his versatility. You talked about him being 36 years old, but can still guard one through five, can still make the extra pass, is comfortable with scoring 25 points, but also five points. Whatever it takes for his team to win is what he'll do, and that's what he's done. And the Celtics are becoming more successful because of him. I can't I can't let you get away with that. Look, I love Al Horford. He is Dominican. He's a gator. He's practically my brother. Okay. Um guard one through five. Like he's not switching and guarding you, and you're just saying, oh no, I've got Al Horford on me. Come I'm not on. saying I'm <laughs> saying, oh no, but the way the Boston Celtics play is generally mm-hmm. to switch one through five. And if he's yeah. the starting center, he may be in a drop at times, depending on the personnel. But when we played against them, he was switching. They may send a double team, right? They may do the, the Celtics boxes and elbows load up and hit, which is basically on the second or third dribble, you double team and you rotate. But the comfortability, you looked at what they did against the, the, the Warriors, and I'm not saying that it worked. But they were switching a lot with him and having him and having him guard arguably the best point guard of all time. I'm not saying it worked because obviously they ended up (laughs) losing, but their confidence in him to do that on that stage against that player shows you that they do believe that he can guard a lot of ones. I guess uh, even though uh, I feel like, uh, you know, he's not the best in that spot, it's only just telling how good they really are if Robert Williams comes back and looks like, you know, his normal self, because man, like they've got all the boxes checked and, you know, I I don't know. What do you think went wrong last year in the finals? Because I was certain that the Eastern conference winner was going to win the championship just because of the way you defend. And I know Steph's an entirely different animal in a seven game series. It's like the nightmare, but what do you think went wrong with the Celtics? Because it felt like they weren't playing the same way. I went on record on ESPN saying that the Celtics were going to win the series. I told Draymond after the game that I had the Celtics winning the series, and I just didn't see them beating them. And 
I have to live with that because the Warriors fans are killing me. Dre reminds me of it all the time. Um, well, you're both, you know, half media now, so you got to yeah. take you got to take the L. But the funny part is, I think it was a combination of things. Lack of experience is something that that rings true. Coach David Vanderpool, who coached me when I was the Portland Trailblazers, he was with the, the Brooklyn Nets last season. He told me from the very beginning that the Warriors were going to win because of their experience. They had been there before and they have championship DNA. And he said it's hard to describe. But when you get in those moments to where your back's against the wall, right? And you can do one of two things, right? You can crumble, you can fold, or you can push through. He said they have the type of DNA where they're going to push through. He said the Celtics have never been there before, and they have to go through their losses first before they can get their wins. You have to earn the right to win a championship, and I think they earned the right last year. They were more talented. They were younger. They had the youth on their side. They stole home court advantage, and then something went wrong like you talked about. They didn't execute down the stretch. They weren't able to bottle up Steph enough. Defensive transition wasn't great. They turned the ball over some. They did a little bit of everything that wasn't enough for, for them to get over the hump. And I think this year they've learned. They got a taste of what it's like to play in the bright lights. They got a taste of what it's like to be this close to having a championship. I'm sure in their mind they thought, we got them. Everybody else said, oh, they got them. Yeah, They're, yeah, they're yeah. done. Steph goes into their house, wins that game, plays the best game of his career in terms of what he says was the most meaningful win of his his tenure was that game because that took the stage for his championship, you know, on his own to kind of shut the haters up. Right. Finals wins, MVP. Finals MVP. He gets to kind of put the stamp on what was already an incredible career. That's the stamp that says, I am exactly who I thought I was. You could say whatever you want about me, but I just went and did that. Not by myself, but by myself. But that's why I thought it would be so it would feel more like a relief for the Celtics because they'd finally got to the finals, you know, with this core, they finally, you know, they got past Miami in seven games, one game seven on the road. It must've felt like, you know, a relief to play a team that wasn't as gritty, you know, necessarily uh, maybe outside of Draymond, but um, yeah, it just, it, it, I don't, again, I don't know what it was, but when you combine that experience with the fact that they overcome, have overcome so far the Ime Udoka quote unquote scandal and um, you know, with Missoula in there now, and just rolling through the league, like the combination of all that probably is going to have them feeling like the playoffs are, you know, old hat, right? It's it's what you're saying. All that experience combined with this year, they're going to feel like, hey, as long as we're healthy, we are probably the best team in the NBA. Yeah. If you look at how their season went last year, they were below 500 at the break. They went on a monster run the latter part of the season, a monster run. And From then January they- on, basically, yeah. They ran the table, and I think it was exhausting for them to have to put that type of work in. So now, you know what they're doing? They're taking care of business early. They're whooping ass. They're beating teams mm-hmm. by 20, 30. They're getting 40 assists in games. They're having fun. They're alternating rest. You know, Tatum plays one night. Jalen Brown sits the next night. Like, they're not messing around because they understand what's at stake for the now, but also for later, later on this season when it matters in March and April. And then when you're making that push in May, they got a taste of the bright lights, man. Having You cover the finals. You know what it's like to be out there on the court, the media, the coverage. The stakes are raised, and it's a different type of aura and a different type of feeling that unless you've been there before, you can't describe. And that's just to cover it. Playing in it is a whole nother level. You get what I'm saying? The questions that you are not like, I remember the first time it was 2000 because I had covered finals before um, I had covered the Miami Heat in a finals because covering uh, teams, the team since 2000. uh, So 2001, two, three, four, five had gone to all those finals. When the Heat got to the finals, I myself said, 
oh yeah, they're not going to be able to handle this pressure. It's crazy. <laughs> and I mean, they were also outside of Shaq, like it was everybody, Antoine, you know, Jason Williams, uh, young Dwayne Wade. A and that was just me from being near it. Like I, it's, it's an entirely different stage. I do think that um, over the years, I think maybe there's been enough people there uh, in the finals now that it feels like, you know, a little bit more of a comfort zone, I think, for players when they first get there. But it it's intense. Like, it's all eyes on you. It's a beast, man. And I just I've covered it a lot of times. I covered it with Facebook Live. I covered it with ESPN back in 2015 or 16. I covered it in 17. Like I've been there. So like each year you obviously get more comfortable. You start to know where you can get your food from, you know, the breaks, you know, the in and outs of, you know, the questioning, how they're doing things. When is media allowed in the gym? Like you kind of get an idea of it, but as a player, it catches you off guard. And like even having conversations with players and, and just seeing what it's like, it is a different beast. And I think they got mm -hmm. that experience. They got that under their belt. They know what it's like and they lost. So that bitter taste is still in their mouth as to the fact that they could have, a championship and be defending one and i think that's what pushing them every night in the dark days of of november right in the in the gloomy days that are coming in december and then that january you know how rough january gets right before the all-star break in february where you your body is breaking down you're starting to get cold and things like that they've been there so now they understand the importance of these games now so they can rest later and get ready for the playoffs yeah we don't get cold down here in the winter uh <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> uh can't relate so I got to get to one, two more things we want to get into. One is um, Tony Brothers. Tony Brothers, the referee, he was reportedly suspended for a game. Um, he had an altercation with Spencer Dinwiddie, and Spencer Dinwiddie said after the game that Brothers called him a BS MFR. Okay. Um, and apparently it was corroborated with uh, a league investigation. And he has been, brothers, has been penalized and, and punished. I, the conversation that I, first of all, uh, it seemed like it was very Tony Brothers. And this is just for me uh, knowing the game, uh, being around the game for as long as I have. Like, uh, it seemed like once I heard that from Spencer Dinwiddie, I was like, yep, that's about right. And so <laughs> if they uh, if they were to do an investigation, they'd probably get that, that answer uh, from a bunch of players around him. But um, the accountability factor, like, yes, this one was dealt with, but... Uh, I know there's conversations among players all the time that that there might not be enough accountability to from the referees. Like, you know, very rarely are they interviewed after games. You know, it's just got a uh, pool reporter goes and gets one of them if necessary, if it's something super controversial. But there's not a lot of transparency out there when it comes to the referees, even today. Um, just wondering what you thought after seeing, hearing that, and then um, just your overall thoughts on the situation. Yeah, I am obviously tied in in the know on all of these situations and issues that may occur as the president of the of the players association so i'm privy to a lot of information and i think there could be more transparency i think the accountability has been there we just don't always hear about it which is the transparency okay. issue that we've referenced i think tony brothers was reprimanded i think he was suspended and fined for the actions that occurred there was obviously an investigation that took place and this became public right because you found out about it i obviously did some digging and found out and then i had some calls on the back end but um, in, in terms of what Matt Barn is saying, I think grades should be public. I think the statistics that follow our sports in this world on players is very hypercritical, right? Like, you know, everything about every player, right. you know, strengths, you know, weaknesses, you know, percentages, you know, when they're in 
slouches, you know, when Clay Thompson's slumping, he has to answer questions about it. And I'm not saying refs should have to answer questions about them slumping or missing calls because just like they miss calls, we miss layups. And I argue the same thing, like, right? Like when a ref misses a call, so you can't miss that. And they may say, like, I'm not perfect, CJ. Like, we make mistakes. And I say, you're right. You do make mistakes, but you shouldn't make those mistakes on me. Make that mistake on a rookie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> that's just that's just how I feel. But right. I think in some of these circumstances and situations, we should be more aware of what referees in the 99 percentile, what referees in the 97 percentile, because they know that about us while we're playing. So if we miss certain shots, they know that's a low percentage shot for you. I might not want to call that foul because – that's not really your shot, right? Like if a center goes and shoots a shot and he made basic contact, they may not call it, right? But when you're in the paint, mm -hmm. the game is called differently. When you're at the 15-foot line, like around the mid-range game, it's called differently. We should know what refs are at what level. We obviously know the years of experience, but I think that is something in which we should mo know more about because they know that about us. And I think that just kind of levels the playing field to where maybe maybe guys won't be as critical when they know, hey, this ref only gets 96% of his calls right, which is still really freaking high if you think about it. But he may not be as tenured as the guy who gets 98% of his calls right because that guy has 15 years experience. He's seen a lot and he truly understands the game. So I think from that standpoint, I understand it. And I think fines should be public. It should be public. Like if, if a referee drops their whistle, right, they get fined for that. The average fan doesn't know that. The average fan doesn't understand that. Wait, Every, what? If a ref drops, if a referee drops their whistle during a game. Like drops the whistle onto the floor. Yes, they get fined for it. So there's a lot of little things that are a part of the game in which the casual fan has no idea. But I think not only would it make the game funner, right, if you know things about the game that that are private or just not public information, but also knowing that a referee is going to miss calls. It's not even about that. <clears throat> it's about calls that affect the outcome of the game that matter. And the last thing I'll say is if a call is wrong, right. And I've had this complaint for a long time, twofold. If a wrong call is made and I argue and I get a technical foul and we find out that I was right, I should get my money back. Because I'm oh. arguing because this is my livelihood and you were wrong. And since you were wrong, I get fouled on the jumper. Guess what? I get paid to make shots. So me missing this shot because I was a foul affects how I eat and how my family eats. And it also affects how I'm perceived on the open market and by my team in terms of value, efficiency, all those things in between. So that's the first thing I don't like. And the second thing that we're working on with the competition committee, because I sit on that, is... If a coach challenges and he gets the challenge right, he should be granted another challenge. Thank you. So that you can use challenges in the first quarter because plays in the first and second quarter do affect the outcome of the game because as the saying goes, every possession matters. So if every possession matters, let my coach challenge in the first quarter. And if he's right, he should be able to still challenge in the second, third, and fourth as well. Can we get something more high tech than just that flashing green light that looks like you just bought it off an auction from some weird cop car like that to me needs to be higher tech for the NBA and just saying totally agree with you with all that stuff. I do want to ask you this, like there's nothing more frustrating than when um, an official doesn't admit uh, he did something or was wrong uh, when it was blatant. Um, but now imagine that referee calls you a BS MFR. Like, I can't imagine how long that sat with Spencer during that game because you can't just go back to normal. You're, you're kind of looking around like, did I hear that properly? Talking like, to me? 
that's supposed it's like hearing that from like a, a Supreme Court judge or something or somebody, you know, it's just like you're supposed to be Mr. Neutral and you just called me a what now? Like that would have lost me. I probably would have gotten, you know, kicked out of a game. That's a wild, wild thing to call someone. And it's very unfortunate that it happened. I think the fact that Spencer brought it up in his press conference. Um, it tells you he was on his mind the entire it was, time. It was on his mind. And that's attacking you on a whole new level. And I've said some foul things to referees. Like, that's just full disclosure. Like, when I'm trying to mm-hmm. get a technical, I'll say whatever I need to say to get a technical. Like, that's just the way it works. Right. But they're supposed to always be composed in all those things, right? Like you said, it's a higher standard. So I think that's unacceptable. And obviously the referee committee has acted on that. Like their union is very strong, by the way. I think Matt talks yeah. about it. They got, they got some union. That's a strong union. They're doing things that as a, as a, as a union representative and member, they move in the right way. That union is hmm. getting things done. Um. Okay. Uh, one of the, <laughs> I did want to get, well, what, I just wanted to mention this. One of the things that always makes me laugh when I see, you know, they say, they tell you where a referee is from. And like, you see a referee from like, you know, the heart of Pennsylvania doing a Sixers game or like some guy that grew up in Miami doing a heat game. And it's just like, how, how do we not just kind of eliminate these potential biases? But anyway, I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> Those are your words, not mine. <laughs> Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! Splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, last thing I want to get into. So Kelly Oubre, uh, on Monday, I believe, in a blowout loss, uh, gave the two small, that was the Celtics, right? Yeah. Gave the two small symbol to uh, Marcus Smart, I believe it was. Uh, that in itself got you know a lot of people talking about the too small thing. Um, I think we can all agree it's nonsense to do it when you're getting blown out like that. But overall, what do you think about that sort of uh, taunt? And where do you think it came from? Like, where do you remember seeing it first? I like it. Let's be clear. I don't like Kelly Oubre doing it down 28. Yeah. Um, it's just... <laughs> It's funny. Like, I would be like, really? I'm too small, but we're winning by 30. (laughs) But I think it's funny because as a person who grew up playing on the parks, like, it's it's very insulting to tell someone they're too small in the court, especially after you score on them, block their shot, or overpower them in some capacity or whatever the case may be. So I do like it. I think Russ rocking the baby is super dope. 
<clears throat> he was doing that in the OKC days. I've seen them do the the too small and then smack it down to another level. Like that that was the first time. So there was a sporting news story on this uh, by Gilbert McGregor, and this is the only research I've seen on it so far. And that was apparently the first time we saw it. Like it was when Russ did it and then smacked his hand down uh, January thirteenth, two thousand eighteen. That sound right? Like you don't remember seeing it before that? I don't remember seeing it as much before okay. then. I think people like Russ was always rocking the baby. Yeah. And I think he went to the too small thing, like you too small. And then he may have been the one who started the fire roof. Now you just see it all the time. I mean, I've done it a few times. I think it's hilarious. Who, who'd you, who's the uh, tallest person you've done it to? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to like check the film, but um. Uh, I mean, I just do it like jokingly, like obviously yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm not that tall, but I've done it's it. It's such an easy thing to do because you make the shot, you turn around, your hand's right there. You just kind of give it to them real quick. It's funny, though, because I remember going all the way and you probably could uh, Google this. I'm sure there's video of it because you can kind of hear players when uh, in the finals when they're all mic'd up. Uh, and there's so many mics everywhere. But Kevin Durant, he didn't give the signal to Dwayne to Dwayne Wade. No, no, no. This is this is that. That's different. In 2012, in the finals, like. Uh, he was just in the mid-range, a little turnaround jumper. Dwayne got up there. Obviously, wasn't tall enough. Made the shot. And while they're coming back, he's just backpedaling. And he's just like, you're too small to Dwayne. You're too small. He said it like twice to him. And kind of ticked Dwayne off. And I think he, he uh, went on a little run right after that. But that was 2012. And that was obviously Russell's team. So I think they might somewhere between those two, either KD or Russ, like they might have actually started it. And then KD with the evolution to the little finger separation there, uh, keeping like maybe half an inch. He did that to Royce O'Neal recently. Like that is the, like the most emasculating of them all. Like he has taken that to the next level. If like, you do yeah. that to me, I'm probably going to get a tech again. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's more disrespectful than the hand down. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Which is, it's clever that KD thought of that. Like I like, I like that it was him who thought of that. Like, well done, Katie. And well done on your 45 points the other night, too. Very efficient. Yeah. Um, my I think my favorite one. Uh, well, first of all, I let me get your opinion on this. I think Chris Paul's hilarious. <laughs> and I know a lot of people think he might do a little too much on the floor, but in Houston, he gave uh, a too small to Kemba Walker, and it was just it was classic. And I feel like I I laugh more at at Chris Paul when he does his stuff? Like, is he really as funny? Like, if you could actually hear what he's saying? Chris is funny. And I think Patrick Beverly talked about his on, on his podcast. He won't really say much during the game. Um, he'll, you know, he'll just say, like, and one or stuff like that. But he'll wait till the game's about over, and then he'll have clever stuff to say. Like, Patrick Beverly said he was talking to him, you know, throughout an entire game, was talking crazy, and then... Chris Paul and him end up coming back. He ends up hitting a couple big shots down the stretch. And then he walks over to the bench, puts his hands on the shorts and says, that's what losing teams do. You guys are a losing team. And like, just like little slick stuff like that to where like, you know, y'all thought y'all was going to win. That's losing. Y'all just, y'all just play losing basketball. We knew it was going to come. Why back. does he have to go for the heart like that? It's just like, he the just regular like, season. Like the OG clever, like, you know what I mean? Like he, he'll make sure the game is almost in hand and then he'll be like, what was that you were saying earlier? Like that's kind of the energy that he gives off. But I know CP well, and we don't like, I don't talk trash you just compete like you know what i mean but hearing right. stories about like him talking trash or like players trying to talk trash to him and him basically like just kind of waiting 
Like, I, why do I need to talk right now? Like, first of all, I'm a Hall of Famer and I hit middies for a living and I, I go get 10 assists in my sleep. But secondly, like, let me go win this game first and then I'll, and I'll be back to have this conversation. I, uh, I think my least fa- – see, the when I thought we were going to lose the two small forever, um, you saw when Trey, uh, Trey Young did it to Javon Carter – and then got a tech because Bill Kennedy, Bill Kennedy said he thought he heard that's a foul MFR. Instead, he was just saying, You're too you're small. Too small mother and then he got, and so fortunately, <laughs> Bill Kennedy said that loud enough in the conversation with Trey. You could hear it on the television broadcast. Where I was like, Oh, whew, because if we're going to get a tech for the too small, I cannot watch NBA regular season for the rest of the year. But that one, doing it over, I mean, I don't think how. John Carter's not that tall, but doing it over somebody who's even like an inch or two taller than you, I think is is probably the, the most disrespectful and the funniest. Absolutely. I think it's absolutely disrespectful. And I'm glad that the too small movement is continuing on. And I hope <laughs> more and more players continue to use it. And then maybe we'll stop seeing the college kids and guys do mm. after they dunk on someone the best of two is when the, the bench helps you out like you turn around you look and the entire bench has got their hands on the cat he's too small he's too uh, small no, I, I love it i love it but i'm i'm good on my end do you have anything else on your end no no i think i'm all right i'm uh i'm just about to watch uh a bunch of old U.S. soccer clips for the rest of the week and see if uh, I get really hyped up for this. It's 9 a.m. on Saturday, though. Like, that's – it's hard to really that's get impressive. hyped up at 9 a.m., especially, I mean, if you're out west at 6 a.m. College but, years. hey, USA, baby. Morning cocktails. But we appreciate all the listeners, <laughs> as always. Go Pelicans. Um, yeah, uh, that's all we got.